I invite you to pray with me this morning. Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks that your presence abounds in all of creation. We give you even more thanks that it is within us that you set your image. And we pray that you would help us see you in the world and in one another. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I thank you for being with us this morning, and I thank you for uh, going through this uh, Altar in a World sermon series. I, I truly have been loving going back to this book. I read this a number of years ago, and I kept thinking to myself, this is an awesome book, and I, and I really liked it and wanted to use it as a sermon series. And now that we're using it during COVID-19 and we're not able to be in the sanctuary, I can't literally can't think of a better time to be doing this book for a sermon series. Because the truths bestowed by the author Barbara Brown Taylor, I think, are biblical truths, first of all, foundational to our faith, and they're also something that we can enable in our life right now, that we can practice them. I got a text message picture from Sue Pignataro, our congregational care coordinator, and there was our Wednesday morning women's group. They were lying on our lawn like 20 feet apart with their backs up on the grass and looking up into the sky watching the clouds because Barbara Brown Taylor kind of talks about that sort of in her book. And they, they were lifting up a fellow church member, Don Raymond, who went under bypass surgery on Friday. And so they were lifting her up and prayers uh, during that time, and they were also just reflecting on, on the beauty of God and the clouds. But I was, it just made me so excited because it was like, yes, this is what we can be doing right now. We can be instilling these practices into our life every day, because the truth is, is that our Christian life is more than gathering together on Sunday morning for worship, which of course we all know that. And I think that in particular, the Christian life is one that walks with us, as well as all of our faith lives, but the, our Christian life, we can see God in the world and experience God's grace, and we can be taught by God through simple things like walking, like we talked about, simple things like waking up to God's presence. We can do these things, and we can share in the presence of God, and we can do them in community together. Which I know for many of us seems odd to say that we can do these practices in community when in fact we're not able to be in community the ways that we had hoped or ways that we usually do. But I really also love how Barbara Brown Taylor pulls on the desert monastics, especially in the chapter of encountering others. See, the desert monastic Christians were early Christians in the, the fourth century. And just a little bit of context, Christianity, as you may or may not have known, uh, began as a persecuted faith. 
uh, people thought of us uh, in negative connotations, thought we were disruptive. And in fact, Nero in Rome tried to blame the entire big fire that came out in Rome on the Jews and, and especially on the Christians with the Jews. And so that we had a history of being persecuted uh, throughout the first few centuries of our faith. But at the Edict of Milan, when Constantine uh, came into power, he saw a sign of a cross in the clouds, and he decided to make Christianity legal throughout the empire. There was a subtle shift that started to happen because all of a sudden, people in power were able to have their Christian faith public and displayed. And in fact, it didn't take that long until the Christian faith began to be preferred within the Roman Empire. Hence, it became the Holy Roman Empire a few centuries later. But some of these early Christians saw this transition that was happening, and they had been reflecting on their faith as being a one of being persecuted, humble, of servanthood. And now all of a sudden, they were seeing Christians in power for roles, and it was making it with a lot of money. It was making them uncomfortable. And so they decided that in order to live their faith out more wholly, more fully, that they would retreat into the deserts. And they would retreat into the deserts to focus more on their faith in those places. Now, I'm not trying to say that this is a call for all of us. This is just something that these early desert, there were mothers, but the ones that we have in writing, the desert fathers, well, they went out into the wilderness, and they, this is a way that they embodied this faithful practice. It's not to say the Christians that were within the Roman system weren't Christians. It's just to say that they give us the counteraction, the reminder of our faith being out in politics or our faith being out in the world. And so it's in the world that they start to practice, and in fact, they would live miles and miles apart from one another, and they would do, they would commit themselves to similar practices of fasting, of prayer. And it's as they did that in isolation and solitude, they were still in community together. They still recognized that uh, deep within our being was a need for community, and community was still happening even though they were, in fact, separated physically. Which I think is a, an amazing reminder for us during this time that here are these desert monastics, almost you know, 13 or 1,700 years before us, were living out their faith in separate places and yet at the same time, together, that they were still able to be in community by setting themselves to similar practices. But one of the things that inspires me, or that reminds me about these desert monastics, they had lots of frames. They actually have a book that was created by Penguin Publishing. If you ever want to pick it up, it's, it's really good, and it has all these little phrases that authors nowadays love to like, pull from, as you can see Barbara Brown Taylor did. But within it, they commit themselves to fasting on a regular basis, as an example. But more than fasting, more than praying, more than any of the practices that they set themselves to, the most important for them was one of hospitality. Which seems really odd because, you know, they went off into the desert all by themselves to focus on their faith, to battle their demons, to, like, center themselves in God. And yet, as they do that, the priority was always given to 
hospitality. I can just imagine myself in that space, right? I'm out. I'm on my retreat, whether that's 10 minutes or 30 minutes, or I have two days to be by myself, and my phone rings or some random person walks up. Ashley, my wife, and I are totally different people when it comes to this regard. I'll be at the beach, and I'll be just enjoying and we'll have a babysitter or someone that's watching our kids, and I'm enjoying my moments, and, and there a, a stranger will walk by, and we might have our dog with us, and I like look the other way. I do anything possible not to gauge in that conversation, whereas Ashley, well, she will know probably that person's life story within 5, 10, 15 minutes and get their phone number and perhaps even uh, set up a play date with us and their kids later on in the week. But she's totally different than, my, than me, and I could see myself as a desert monastic being that hermit that was just like, uh-uh, nah, uh my door is shut, get away, this is me time, you stay over there, I am focusing on God. In fact, they have this really humorous story of a desert monastic doing just that, and Barbara Brown Taylor talks about it in her book. She, she talks about this uh, monk that, I forget the exact amount of days, but it was something like 60 days. That 60 days, the monk decided to fast, only eating like once a week, and then praying to God to reveal something about this scripture passage that was really troubling this desert monastic. And so over the 60 days, the monk was just getting frustrated because God hadn't revealed anything. And so in desperation, the monk decided to walk outside of his chamber that he stayed in throughout that whole time and go to one of his neighbors to get consultation on this specific passage. And so there he was, opens the door, and he steps out, and God meets him. An angel of the Lord appears to him and says, now that you have made one step closer to your neighbor, you have now, not through the fasting, but now have the opportunity to get a revelation from God upon the scripture passage. See, there is a pull within us to engage in others. We talk about being made in the image of God. And, and I hearken back to the creation story where God says that God created humanity, Adam and Eve, and God made them in God's image. But that image was not complete until the two were together. Until God made them in community, the image of God was not complete within them. And we have our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters that share this narrative and would call us to also recognizing hospitality in our neighbors and anything. But for a moment, I'm going to put a lens of our Christian faith upon that story. And for us as Christians, the way I read that is that the image of God is a God in community. And for us to bear that image, we also must be. And what do I mean by that? I mean by that is that we believe in a God who is Father, Mother, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is these three, not to be divided, but not to be conflated. And it's super confusing. It makes absolute no sense. It's one of the mysteries of our faith. And the more you try to explain the Trinity, the more problems you encounter as you follow down the, like, 
rabbit trail of your thinking and your logic. And so I'm not going to go down there for us because that would be an entire lecture series on a whole other topic. But the idea, though, the best way to understand it from my perspective is that God is in this relationship with God's self. And that it's, and God invites us into that very relationship. And that we are able to do that as individuals at some level, but we need one another to bear that image. That the image of God is in relationship within us. But here's the thing about we often relate to people. We often find ourselves relating to someone in a kind of, what can I get out of this transaction? I know I find myself in that. And I know churches have been, you know, really uh, not so good at this, at least from a church leadership standpoint. I can't tell you how many committee meetings I've been in, and not, I'm not calling our church out. This is church, any church I've been at. We're talking about wanting to grow their church, and one of the impulses as to why they want to grow the church is because the people in the various committee positions or leadership positions, from ushers to praise band to the AV booth, well, they're getting tired because they've been doing it day in, day out for the past X number of years. And so we really need to grow this church because we need people to take these jobs that are within the church. And so uh, there's oftentimes within churches that, you know, people are like radar set, not just to meet someone, but thinking to themselves, oh, this person is going to be a great usher. And so I, I must confess that Daniel, I, I was starting to get coffee with Daniel who plays, and he all of a sudden he confessed to me that he's a musician. And I was like, wait, what, Daniel? And, but like the thing is, is that in that relationship, if I were to leave it just there of what we can get, we would miss out on what God wants us to be invited to. And so if it, I were to continue that logic with Daniel, for example, who's an amazing gift to our worship team, and he just uh, volunteers his time and his energy and helping us there. But the thing about it, though, he comes with opinions. Did you know that? And he also comes with different traditions. He came from a church in Houston that was multi-ethnic, and they really embraced the global nature of our Christian faith, and especially our United Methodist faith. And so as we prepare for our worship services, Daniel often encourages us to think about the broader Christian faith. He encourages us to incorporate a song. I'm not blaming this on him if you don't like this song. But he encourages, because I think it's faithful. He encourages us to bring in other languages into our worship to remind us that we are not an English faith. He encourages us to think about music and the diversity and the relationships we have with others. He has been a gift to us. But so often we find ourselves limiting someone only to what we can get instead of empowering them or listening to them and letting them give, letting them serve, letting them be them, and then in fact going even further and trying to bless them. Because this is what Jesus is talking about with the disciples. 
or when he's teaching them about what's to come in the future, Jesus tells them that they must treat these people as if they were Jesus himself. That which you have done to the least of these, you have done unto me, he says. It's not just these friend relationships that we find ourselves, like Daniel and I and the relationship that we had, but it's also the stranger. In fact, did you know that we often like to say, love your neighbor as yourself? But throughout the biblical tradition, there is more about loving the stranger than there is about loving the neighbor. And we need this message more than ever in our society. I can't tell you how often I see on Facebook people going after each other, and they're supposed to be friends, let alone the strangers on the the whatever side of whatever debate we find ourselves in. That we are supposed to treat the stranger not just as what they can give to me. So, for example, the grocery store clerk, as they go through my goods and they give me everything I do, is not just an exchange of them providing a service for me, but it, it is an opportunity also for me to encounter God in them, to name it, to bless them, and to give back to them. This week I tried that. There's so much isolation in our society right now and so much division over the politics that we're all faced with right now that right now, like one of the things I tried is I have, um, I, we got, we'll go Whole Foods as our uh, main grocery store. And so I just happened to, and I've seen this lady every, like so many times, like on a number of occasions. Like I definitely remember her face. She knows my face. And I just decided I'm going to say her name for the first time ever. And some of you might do this on a regular basis. I don't. So I said, thank you, Danielle. There was nothing to that other than the fact that I was going to pay attention to her in a different way and hope that me saying one thank you, but using her name might help, might be a blessing on her. I don't know what that would do to her, but you know what was super surprising in that moment, in that exchange? She responded by, see you next time, Brian. She knew my name, probably because it showed up on the credit card statements every time when they have my name of who purchased it. I'd been there that many times, never acknowledged her more than just the person that's giving me the discounts or you double check this or something or you know that. I might have some, some sort of small talk here and there, but never had acknowledged her in a more meaningful way. And she acknowledged me by name. We need more of that. We need to engage with the other as if we're engaging with the very presence of God in them. And that it's the the union that we can find that reveals the fullness of the image to us. That they are not just a stranger, but that we need that person. As weird as that sounds, we need one another. And we need it not just because they're going to give us something. We need that person 
to give to as well, to bless. In fact, that's the way people describe the Trinity, like I was talking about. That it's this mutual blessing of the persons of the Trinity to one another. That we're invited into that relationship. And out of all the ways that people have tried to explain God, three in one, the one that reigned true during the kind of orthodoxy conversations was to talk about the economy of love, which is to say the giving, material giving of love is the best way to understand God. And so if we, being in the image of God, are to bear that image, then our task is to as well give that love with the people we encounter. And see, the thing is, is there are people all over the place. So I invite you to challenge yourself to give to the stranger. Sure, we can do Operation Christmas Child and we can do some of those giving in that way, and that's great, but I don't want this time to ask you to give money to someone that you can't see in person. I want you to give even if it's just acknowledging someone's name to someone you encounter this week. Because I promise you that God will be in that relationship. And we can more deeply love our neighbors and the strangers. I invite you to pray with me. Gracious God, we acknowledge that being made in your image, we need others to bear that image. That even during these COVID times, We can encounter our neighbors and our strangers and find your presence. Let us give freely blessings upon them as you give to us and acknowledge that we need them. Amen. Oh,